This message was brought to you by Christian Service. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon in some specific order. I am your host, Greg the Scott, and I would like to welcome you to the Fancy File Podcast. Bum, 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 ah. Today, you are about to embark on a Fancy File adventure. And, but we're not doing it alone. It's not just me as your guide through the many twists and turns of the Bible, good twists and turns, not bad twists and turns, I have with me, some may say, the greatest panel of individuals that you'll find on the South Shore of Montreal Mm -hmm. that do a podcast on Christianity. Some may say that. Others might say, well, you are the only one, but you're not the best. So they're already (laughs) expecting a better one to come out. To those of you who think that way, thank you for your constructive criticism. We accept it. I have with me today uh, a man who needs no introduction, yet if I didn't introduce him, you wouldn't know who it was. Mick. I feel like I need to match this energy right now. Match it. uh, Bada bing, bada boom, Mick is in the room. There you go. Love it. That's... Mick, how are you? You know what? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. You look well. Thank you. I try to look good, look good, for, smell good for the podcast. Sing good. You do sing good. Show nice eyes every he once in a while. Does have looking. nice eyes. You can get lost looking in his eyes, <laughs> and we're going to say no more because we're going to freak everybody out. I don't just have Mick with me today. I have the mighty Rexosaurus. Don't call me Rexy. How are you doing, Ezra? I'm enjoying my day. The sun is shining. The air is clean. Mm. Mostly. I mean. We live in the suburbs, so, you know, there's smog and stuff, but hey. Is there? I'm sorry, this is not your neighborhood. (laughs) He says the sun is shining, and then all that came to my mind is, and the sun is shining. Okay, we're good. How are you doing, Greg? Good. I hope that people could figure that out. It'd be really funny, but how are you doing? Awful. I don't want to be here. Whee! I'm like, what? What's wrong with them? If this is him when he's miserable, what's he like when he's happy? It's like, woo! It's like, we're going to have to edit out everything he said because no one can understand it. But we'll get someone to interpret it, and then we'll be able to understand it. All right, so we got Mick. We got Ezra. Last and definitely not least, Melanie. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, <laughs> It's the mouse. Wow, what an introduction. Yeah. It's, yeah. Best one yet? Best one yet. And we're never going to top it. I hope we top it. Why? That puts too much pressure on myself. Okay. Because, mm. like, you reach a certain level and you can't go higher. It's like Jurassic Park. They knocked it out of the park with the first movie, and then everything else has been terrible since. Oh, that's Where too can bad. you go after pudding pops? <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't get these references. That's fine. So... I'll Google it later. No, don't Google it. Okay. Yeah, you'll forget. That's okay. I'll forget. Good. You're doing good? I'm doing well. 
but I didn't ask if you were doing well. Oh, well. You're doing good. No, oh, I'm like, you. oh, well. Some I'm... people like to have their steak well done. Are you one of those people? No, I good. like it medium rare. Hey. <laughs> Everyone else can have a steak elsewhere. Uh, high stakes, man. Ooh. All right. <laughs> Enough with the laughter. Now it's serious. Oh, actually, before we get to the serious, there's a few things I would like the audience to do. Number one, if you haven't already, there's a few things I want you to go on social media to find. One, you can go on YouTube. We have a YouTube page under the Christian service where you can find the Fancy File podcast and other materials, specifically Mick throwing himself down a flight of stairs. Theologically. Both theologically and literally. He did it. It was beautiful. So go on there, like, and subscribe, and hit the notification button so that you will be aware of some of the stuff that we put on there. Uh, Because there's also potentially sermons. Well, we do have sermons and maybe other sermons down the road that uh, come out of the Christian service ministry that we like to preach to each other. Uh, Second, Facebook. There's two Facebook pages you can go on. So there's the Christian service Facebook page, uh, which will hopefully tell you things to happen and to come. Uh, also, we'll sometimes, from time to time, post stuff that hopefully will be encouraging to you. And then second, we actually have the Fancy File Facebook page, which every two weeks when we release the podcast, there will be a post on it that you can click on to give you the links on where to check it out. Mick, tell the audience, our faithful listeners, the Fancy Fileites, where they can listen to the podcast besides YouTube. You can check it out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, I think there's a few more uh, very niche places that are so niche that I don't know them. Did you put them there, though? Yes and no. Okay. At some point, it's just this program that just kind of does its thing, and then I just find out one day. It's like, oh, we're on this website? That's pretty cool. No more work for Mick. It'll happen by itself. Good work, Mickey. We're very proud of you. Thank you. You're welcome. Also, to our faithful listeners, we invite you to reach out and write to us. If you have any questions or comments, prayer requests, feel free to send us messages either through, well, actually both Facebook pages. Uh, We also have an email address uh, that I believe would potentially be in one of the links. So check it out. I'm getting a look like maybe, maybe not. Either way, there is a way to message us mostly through Facebook. You can private message us and we will respond. Uh, any questions you may have, any comments. Uh, if something we said that wasn't clear, because look, we're not professionals. Uh, we're not theologians. We're Bible students. We're lovers of the word. We're lovers of Christ. And some of us might not be able to express exactly what we're thinking. <laughs> and it comes out weird. Or maybe where you're listening from, we have a bit of an accent. So if to something that we say that's not clear that you would like that we would explain ourselves, or maybe we misspoke and you thought, well, that didn't sound right. Hey, please feel free to uh, reach out and ask us what you meant. And even if maybe there's things you don't agree with and and you would like more clarification on it, uh, but just keep in mind that we are believers who lean towards a Pentecostal charismatic type belief. So right off the bat, if you're a cessationist and you want to write to us and argue, we're not really going to debate that because we're not going to change our minds on it as we see in Scripture the Bible says that the gifts are still, I believe, for today. Amen. All right. Now, we're going to move on. So please, write to us. If you even want a shout out, if you're listening from somewhere in the world and 
Maybe you're listening from New Mexico and you'd like us to shout out New Mexico. We'll shout, and we just did shout out to New Mexico. If there's any listeners, and all Mexico, and and Mexico as well. Not just New Mexico, but Mexico and old Mexico. Uh, thanks, Melanie. We would like to know who's listening. So, and also shout out to my mom. I know she listens. So, thanks, mom. Hi, Greg's mom, for listening and being our probably our number one fan, potentially. That's mm-hmm. good. Okay. We started a series in our last podcast going through the letters that Jesus gave in Revelation. Now, we know that Revelation is a bit of a scary book of the Bible, unfortunately, and some Christians will avoid it, which I think is unfortunate because Revelation isn't only about scary Bible prophecy and judgment. Now, I know that not every Christian believes Revelation is still prophetic you still have you have christians who do believe that well one this stuff happened in the past or it was referring to uh the destruction of the temple around 70 a.d you'll have christians that believe it's all spiritualized the war between good and evil 22 verses to explain that that's really cool man if that's what you think but hey i'm not going to split hairs over it uh because i don't have any more hair to split you stole the joke from me, Greg. I was... Good. <laughs> the official joke stealer. And yes, of course, I do believe there's a lot of Christians, including myself and those around this table, that believe it is prophetic in nature and that there are many things still to come that haven't happened yet. And that is amazing and terrifying at the same time. Now, because there is a book of Revelation might have a bit of a bad reputation, unfortunately. It shouldn't. It's in the Bible. But amongst some of the homies and peeps within the church, that Revelation got a bad reputation. I don't like that because, I mean, the first chapter is this beautiful unveiling of Jesus Christ. Mm. That's what Revelation means. It's an unveiling. The temple, the temple. Come on, Greg. The veil is being pulled back and God is showing us incredible things, not only to come, but... Incredible things about who Jesus is. Incredible things about heaven. Do you know that there are so many passages, sometimes the entire chapter is given over to a vision of heaven? Now, whether or not you believe that that's an exact representation of what's going on in heaven, that's between you and God. But hey, if you're going out and buying books about people's trips to heaven and you're not reading the book of Revelation, there's something a little bit amiss there, and I say that out of respect and love. Read the book of Revelation. Read what God is showing the church because it was written to his servants. Mm -hmm. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. To his servants. Mm. To us. He gave it to you, church. He's given you a revelation. Go and read it. There's so many Christians running around for revelations. Speak to me the word. Speak to me the word. Tell me what heaven looks like. Go Read the book of Revelation. I don't want to dwell on that too much, but we do have Christians who do ignore it. We do have churches that won't read it. And I've heard very many interesting reasons as to why. But I would like to actually ask my uh, co-host, co-panelists today what they think on that. Uh, And the question is, why do you think that there are some churches, not all, by the way, we're not broad rushing, there are churches out there and pastors that will teach and preach on the book of Revelation. Uh, well-known one, David Jeremiah in the United States. He's always writing books on on Revelation. He's always doing sermon series on Revelation. 
So we know that there are big ministries, there are big churches, whether you like them or not, that are doing it. But why are there some that ignore it? So I think for myself, when I became a, first became a Christian, I just really wanted to, to know everything about Jesus. And so I focused on the four Gospels. And then everything else, uh, I felt that perhaps was a bit secondary in nature. Now, over time, things change, but biblical literacy doesn't kind of grow, you know, overnight. It's developed, it's cultivated, and so I know for myself that before I was able to actually read Revelation and understand it, there needed to be a deeper understanding of the rest of the Bible. Okay. And so for myself, going into Daniel, going into all these books that are quoted in Revelation really allowed me to understand. And I think many people, or some people, depending on what circle you're in, have a harder time with really marrying Old Testament and New Testament and kind of making making sense of it all. Mm-hmm. It can be difficult because of all these quotes. It's kind of like watching a movie that's just made up of references of another movie. Mm. If you haven't seen the other movie, then you're kind of missing out on the joke. Well, here you're missing out on a lot of what's being said. And I think when you do have the context and you know where these uh, passages are from, then it's a lot less confusing and makes a lot more sense than one might expect. So you think that there's a lack of like literacy? There's a literacy problem, Christians not reading their Bible in general, and that leads to it. Yes, and I think culturally there might also be just a literacy problem. Fair enough. You know? By the way, I don't mean all Christians, I mean some. No, yes. Hmm. I think one of the issues is that Revelation is very dense, and it's very dense with subject matter that can be controversial, especially right. yeah. like... There are so many different camps of people that interpret the book of Revelation in like a plethora of different ways. And often like the debates that surround these camps is very toxic, the wrong word, uh, heated. Okay. It gets very heated, I find, when people like debate on these issues with Revelation. And the problem is that Revelation is very dense. There's a lot of subject matter to go through. And as Mick was pointing out, if your biblical literacy is not deep enough to, to really unpack it all and to understand it within its context and with all the references that it's making to other prophetic texts and you know other teachings of Christ, uh, you're going to have a hard time. And so there's that. And I think it comes down to both a lack of biblical literacy and... It's just really dense. There's a lot of material crammed into those chapters think, and verses. You think some pastors might feel overwhelmed to try to tackle it? Oh, I think in some cases that's true. Yeah, okay. For okay. sure. Yeah, that could be, yeah. I used to go to a church that focused a lot on bringing in like new Christians or people who weren't saved. And so I think that they were they didn't want to bring up the book of Revelation to new Christians or people who weren't saved, not because they didn't want to scare them off kind of I think that's one of the reasons that I saw like from my experience but I also spoke to someone recently and she said that she had never read the book of Revelation and I haven't had a discussion with her as to why but I think like from my experience when I wouldn't read it I think the reason why was because I didn't have commentaries and so I would just read it and I was like okay I see all these things in this book but I don't know what it's referring to and so 
now that I know that commentaries exist, I'm like, oh, there's a like a wide range of different commentaries and I can read from like the John MacArthur study Bible and it's going to say one thing, but it's going to connect to another commentary that I see. And so I can see commonalities and I can kind of understand the interpretation of what the verses and what the chapters are saying. And so it's not as overwhelming as people think when you are equipped properly, when you're surrounded by a good, I want to say like good elders, like if you attend a church that preaches sound doctrine and who are going to address this properly, um, that's like a very important step, but also studying it on your own if you have the proper resources. And I understand that not everyone has like a physical Bible necessarily anymore, but on the internet, you can look it up. You can look up the interpretation for certain verses and you can get a plethora of different commentaries. So it is accessible. It seems scary when you don't know, when you're not taught how to do these things. But once you know, you do it and you can succeed. Yeah. And I want to tell the listening audience, there are many, many reasons as to why some uh, churches or Christians do not read Revelation. I do believe fear is one of it. There is a lot of people who um, who don't read it who are afraid what it has to say because, look, you have passages given over to hell. You have passages given over to terrifying judgments. Who wants to read stuff like that, right? There are different opinions within the church world, even for those who do believe that it is prophetic in nature, that Jesus is coming back, and then the rapture question comes up well, when is the rapture going to happen? And you have Christians who believe it will happen before what the Bible referred to. Well, what Christians will refer to as a tribulation period. You have others who believe it's come happen, happening halfway through. Others believe at the end. Some people believe three-quarters of the way through. Some people believe in partial rapture. So you have all these different opinions. So if you are not of the pre-trib group and you believe you're going through any part of this, that could be terrifying. And even if you are a pre-trib group, the fact that at any moment Jesus can come for you, that's still scary. You're living your life, and then twinkling of an eye, you're gone. So not to dwell on that, but I do believe some people stay away from it because they are afraid. Now, Mick, I'd like you to read uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. This is where we will start our Revelation study. The fancy file on Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear, those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are, and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become wary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Thank you, Brother Mick. Okay, so... Right at the beginning of Revelation, Jesus Christ gives an unveiling of the situation of seven churches. There is debate within the church world as to whether or not these churches do, besides the fact that they are actual churches that existed, but 
Do these churches represent larger periods of time in church history? Are these only dealing with problems that exist churches throughout all history? And I do believe that, that you do have elements within these churches that affect churches throughout history, including churches today. So I believe it's very important for us to look at what Jesus is saying. If you, and I would hope that all Christians who are listening have found a good church to go to, but even within those good churches, there are problems that are there. This is churches of the first century, churches that we see born out of the book of Acts, Paul's ministry. We can romanticize the book of Acts and really all churches throughout history that have been in revivals and think that those churches never had a problem. That is not true. All throughout history, churches have issues and they need to be addressed and they need to be dealt with. So if we have this idea that Jesus will never tell us anything negative, that he never will correct churches today, that's wrong. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still is calling churches to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Now, there's going to be a few things to remember as we go through all seven of these churches. Jesus is going to give them a revelation of himself, that something they specifically needed to hear, but it's important for us as well to look at and to remember not only dealing with the churches themselves, but also individually as Christians that can help us uh, grow in our walks. Also, he will commend them for things. Maybe we can say congratulate them on things. This is what you're doing good. And he points that out. Then there's also condemnation. There's things that you're not doing good that need to change. And then he'll also give them counsel. He'll give them warning. Look, if you don't change, this is what could happen. But I want you to change. He'll give us a way out. And then we also get a promise, which is very encouraging. He doesn't just come along and go bad and then leave. Mm. And that's unfortunately how some people deal with, like deal with problems. They'll only tell people when they do something wrong and they never, they don't give promise. They don't, they don't congratulate them or commend them on things that they do well, which is important. We should get the whole counsel of God, not just the negative. Okay, going into Revelation chapter two, verse one, first thing we will say, this is given to the book of Ephesus. This is the same church not the book of ephesus the church of ephesus but this is the same church what we get the book of ephesus from that paul wrote to so we know look we know a great work of god happened in this church for a lot of christians ephesians may be one of their favorite books of the bible now it says unto the angel of the church now that right away uh that might cause some people some issues because you will <laughs> you'll get some christians i won't say where they go or what type of churches they go to, but they might focus a little too much on angels. And so right away, they're like, oh, angels, love it. When the passage says unto or to the angel of the church of Ephesus, it's not talking about an angelic host and that John is going to go and give that letter to the angel over a church. There might be some people who actually teach this. Angel in the Greek, uh, and I'm not a Greek expert, I'm just reading what these Bible commentaries say, uh, is and I'm probably mispronouncing it, so please, if you're a Greek expert, uh, trigger warning, I'm not. You don't have to write us. Uh, is angelos, which basically means, it means messenger. So when it's talking about angel here, it's talking about to the messenger of the church or to the pastor or to the elder of the church. So we know that this is written to churches. It's written to people. Now, Jesus will address himself in specific ways regarding Issues that need to be addressed or that what this church or churches need to hear. Uh, and we're also going to learn something very important about Christ in these chapters that I believe, and as I said, uh, will help us. So 
what does he say to this specific church? He goes, these things saith he that holds or holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks or lampstands, depending on what translation you read. Now, this is in reference to the chapter before. At the end of the chapter, we see that Jesus is holding seven stars, that he's walking among these lampstands. And then, look, you don't actually have to worry about trying to figure out what that means because the Bible actually says it. And that is actually the key to interpreting Revelation is what the scripture have to say about it. It says in chapter 1, verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, or pastors or elders, of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks that thou sawest are the seven churches. Mm-hmm. Now that is key here to understanding what Jesus is saying, because he's saying, I'm speaking to you, and he's giving a revelation of them uh, to them regarding himself. And what is this? Important things. One, he holds the seven stars. He holds, he's holding the pastors. And I believe that actually is a very beautiful revelation because if you're in leadership, if you're in ministry, if you're a pastor, there's going to be times, or maybe many times, you feel overwhelmed, burdened, you feel alone. Yet, what do we see here? Jesus is holding them. Jesus holds us up. We actually remember Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father, and we are given uh, in Scripture Verses that say that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Amen. If you're a leader and you're overwhelmed and discouraged, let this be something to encourage you. And maybe this was something that they were dealing with, that the leaders were dealing with there, that there were a bit of a, like, they were, whatever they were going through was overwhelming them. I don't know. But this can be an encouragement for you being like, Jesus is with me. He's not merely with me, but he's guiding me. He's leading me. He's sovereign. He's Lord over your life. He's Lord over your church. He's Lord over your ministry. He's the head of it. Mm. One commentary that I, that I read really encouraged me regarding this verse. Uh, it stated that Christ places the stars, or the in context, the uh, head pastors or elders, he places the stars whom he chooses where he chooses. Mm. Oh, that's good. I like that. It is in his hands that he holds us. And carries us, and not only as he's holding us, but through the lampstands, through yeah. the different churches. Christ is with us, even in times of difficulties. Amen, yeah. So, stay encouraged. Remember, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And yes, that does apply to all believers, but I do believe for pastors, for, for, for elders, overseers, bishops. Mm-hmm. However, uh, you call yourself, if you're leading a church or part of a, a leadership team, Jesus is with you. He hasn't forsaken you. And whatever you're facing today, whatever your church is facing, remember that he is there. He is with you. And then we see he reminds them that he is the one that walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands or candlesticks. Jesus is there in the churches. He's walking among them, so to speak. He hasn't left them. And again, maybe you feel that Jesus isn't there. For whatever reason, whatever's going on in your church, that he isn't there. But he is. He sees what's what's going on. And he cares about his bride. Mm. He cares. If he's walking in the midst of the candlesticks, of the lampstands, that's how he's close to them. Right? He's close to his church. He's close to his people. He cares about his people. If he didn't care, he wouldn't be sending these letters off. Mm. He would just be like, they do what they want. No, that's not what he's like. Jesus 
is the head of the church. He's sovereign over the churches. And this whole scene shows us Christ's place as head of the church. Mm. He's not far off, so to speak, distant, not caring. No, he's right there in the middle. He's right there among them. And it's important to remember that. Jesus Christ is in charge, not men. And that's something that some can lose focus. Some can take their eyes off of. They think it's all about them. Maybe not at first. They go off to do ministry, and it very much is about Jesus. But then maybe the ministry gets too big, or they they allow sin or pride in their lives, which is sin, obviously. And then that causes them to forget Christ's place, that he is in charge. And if we pull back and we start doing things our way, uh, we're going to make a mess out of it. Now, to the panelists here, what does it mean that Christ is the head of the church? What does that mean? Well, it means partially that whatever happens to the church is on his hands. It is his responsibility. That being said, it also means that what happens within the churches are of his command. And so when we look into the word and we read, I'll mention Acts, but there's really a a greater scope than just that. But the things that Christ desires and wants his church, commands his church, churches to do, well, that's already set forth by the person who has that, who's at the head of it. So the responsibility is on his hands and the rules have been set out for us to follow. If Christ is the head of the church, that means that a man is not the head of a church. So when I think of churches that are built around a man, who are built around a celebrity pastor, or even someone who says he's not going to be a celebrity pastor, and he starts off humbly, and then he his head gets big, and then he ends up being a celebrity pastor. I'm thinking of Mark Driscoll. I'm sorry. I'm naming names. Um... Honestly, like what I'm trying to say here is that when Christ is not the head of the church, when we lose the focus, when we forget that he's supposed, he's the one who's supposed to hold things together, that everything that we're supposed to be doing is um, supposed to glorify him, seeking what he wants, doing what he does, uh, doing what he wants us to do. Um, We lose focus. We center it on men and we... I guess we do this cult of personality and it's just a big mess. And so we have to keep Christ the focus. But if we if we're not in the word, if we make it about us, it's really easy for us to lose focus and for us to forget that Christ is supposed to hold everything together. I think bringing it back to a very basic understanding, we know that the head the brain specifically, but the head is what ultimately controls the whole body, right? And so Christ being the head of the church means ultimately he has all the authority over the church. He is the one who decides the direction it needs to go, and he dis- he's the one that determines how all the parts of the body work together to, pro- to-, to live, really. Uh, he's the one that's guiding the left foot. He's guiding the right foot. He's guiding the hands, the eyes, the nose, the mouth. Christ is ultimately the one being head of the church who makes the decisions as to where his body goes. Now, obviously, we know 
there are some churches that are rogue. There are some churches, quote-unquote, that are not really part of the ecclesia, Christ's body. Uh, so obviously Christ isn't head of them. But we do know that ultimately there are true Christians throughout the world, and ultimately they are in submission to God, to Christ, and he's the one that determines the direction that the body, mm. the ecclesia, will follow. Mm. Amen. And then in verse 2, Jesus says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. So Jesus starts his message to the church at Ephesus with commendation. These are things that please him. This is something that we should take note, not only individually, but as churches. He first says he knows their works, their labor, their patience. Jesus sees the churches. He sees them building the kingdom of God. He sees their work. He sees what they're doing. He sees how they're enduring hardship with patience. Now, this, this pleases him. And I want you to remember that. If you are a pastor or a leader of a ministry, of a church, or even individuals, individually living your walks with God, he sees you. Mm. He sees your work. He sees the cry of your heart. He knows what you're doing for him. Okay? He sees the struggles. He sees you where you're planted trying to build the kingdom of God, despite the opposition you face and the strugglings that you face. And I believe that is a very comforting thought to know that Jesus sees us because maybe we feel that he doesn't see us. Maybe you've gotten to the place where you think he doesn't care. That's not the case. Because what does this revelation show us? He's right there among the churches. He has never left. It's his body. We're continuing his work. We're his hands, his feet among this planet to get the gospel out, to build his kingdom. Mm to call people out of darkness into his wonderful light. And every one of us has a work to do for him, some specific thing, some part within the body. And every church has a responsibility to go out and preach the gospel, to baptize new converts, and so on and so forth. And there's some places of the world that's very hard to do. And Ephesus, that was at a time where there was much persecution and much opposition. And yet, the Lord saw the work that they were doing. I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. He sees that. I think it's very, it's a very clear picture that Christ paints of this church. When we read works, labor, and patience, it kind of touches three different things. And I guess maybe we'll go deeper into them, but it touches the things that are seen, the things that are unseen, and the, the I guess, the time at which the length of which these things are done. When we read the works, it's the good works. It's what's being seen by the world. Christ sees that. But the word, uh, the Greek word for labor here means to toil to the point of exhaustion. And I think there's something about that where Christ sees the toil and the sacrifices that it costs us to follow him. Mm. And he acknowledges that. But then when it says endurance or patience, right, it is the endurance under trial that length of time that we stick through it even though there are trials like you were saying ephesus was right. going through horrible trials and there's a, a beauty that god sees 
the full picture and not just what we present to him. That was a great answer, Mick. Thank you. I have a question for you guys. Does it comfort you knowing that Jesus sees your work in ministry? That might seem like a silly question. Oh, come on. But maybe it doesn't comfort you. And if it doesn't, why? And if it does, in what ways does it comfort you? So I would say at times it is a great sense of comfort that he knows all of it. Because, right, a lot of hours are put into all that we do for, for Christ. And um, just in everyday life, some people work behind the scenes. Some people work in front of the curtain, right? There's so much. Yet Christ sees it. But then I think there's also that difficulty for me where sometimes because Christ sees it, Christ also sees what I withhold. Christ also sees what I'm not willing to sacrifice, what I'm not willing to, to let him take a hold of. And that's very difficult for me, right, to just kind of admit, but there's truth to it that even if I'm very public or people know what I do behind the scenes of anything, and I do it a lot, then that, doesn't, that still doesn't mean that I'm toiling to the point of exhaustion. There might be a lot that I'm holding back that Christ knows that I should really be offering to him as a sacrifice. Mm. Mm. Well, my answer is... It's a healthy bit of both. Okay. It's both comforting and humbling and frightening, right? Like Mick was saying, it's it's comforting to know that when I work really hard and I put effort into the things that God has called me to do, for example, po- editing the podcast, right? Like every hour of, of listening is four hours worth of editing and work, right? That's a lot of work. And so it's comforting to know that if no one else on the planet ever saw that work being done, I know Christ has, and yeah. Christ is proud of the work that I do. But in the same vein as Mick was saying, it, it's also humbling to know that when I'm not serving Christ, when I am following my temptation instead of resisting it, when I'm not doing the things he's asked me to do, he sees that too. Mm. And it's it, it's that healthy fear of God where it's like, hey, like, yeah, he sees me when I'm working for him and when I'm serving him and when I'm putting all this blood, sweat, and tears into the work that he's called me to do. But he also sees me when I'm goofing off. He sees me yeah. when I'm wasting time. And that is sobering. Mm. I also want to give examples from my life. Um, So basically, every time we record this podcast, I know that God sees my faithfulness and he sees that I'm here and that I'm contributing and that it does have an impact. But also, I do see that like God's work doesn't always make headlines and that's okay because he knows we're doing things and he, he honors that. But also, I know in my heart, I always have to pray before these podcast recordings because I know that I'm a sinner and I know that if I were to listen to my flesh, I would boast. Like I always have to like ask God to search my heart, to search, to show me, to reveal these things to me so I can go into this podcast recording if he, like not boasting so I can glorify him 
because I know that my heart in itself is is not good. So I have to lean on him and remember that all of my, that all these talents that he's given me, they are all this knowledge or whatever he's given me comes from him and I have to give it back to him. So, and that's a constant thing in everything I do, even for work with my students. It's like I put in so much work, blood, sweat, and tears, like you said, and I feel like I don't get recognition. I feel like I'm not appreciated. It's so hard when you work with kids because they don't say thank you, especially in today's generation. They don't say thank you. And you have to be okay with that because you can't expect that from them. But I know that God sees me. But at the same time, I know that I don't always interact with them the way I should. I know that I'm not always sharing the gospel when I could. Like, even though... I could be great in certain aspects. I'm not so great in other aspects. And so that's why I love the verses in the Bible in Hebrews 12 and in Romans 2 that say that God sees everything and we're going to have to give an account for everything. And it's it's a sobering reminder, but it's also good. Like you said, it's the fear of the Lord and it reminds us to, that we have to be consecrated. Amen. Good responses. Then Jesus goes on and says, and how thou can not bear them which are evil. Now, that might be an interesting one for some people, especially depending on how they've been brought up in the church or maybe their view of Jesus. Because you will have, and we kind of touched on this a bit in the last podcast, where their view of Jesus does not allow for anything negative. So if Jesus is coming out and saying, hey, I'm really happy that you're not putting up with those who are evil, that can be like, what? What do you mean? You know, sometimes we'll jokingly say, you get some Christians who will, call out other Christians. You need to be more like Jesus. I think this might be, and I'll call it the first, the Jesus isn't acting like Jesus comment. Uh, And we're going to get that quite a bit going through this. Look, we cannot put up with evil. Mm. That doesn't mean that you don't allow people to come in your church. That's not what what is being said here. It means that they're they're not putting up with compromise they're not putting up with sinful behavior. They're dealing with it, and that pleases the Lord. And there's a lot more to it than just that as well, uh, as we're going to see as we continue through this. But it's important to point out that in the New Testament, church discipline is given to us. And it's one thing if you have a church service and someone who does not know the Lord is living a very evil, wicked life, comes into the service, here's the message and leaves us one thing. If you call yourself a Christian, you're involved in that church, that church is your home, and you're living a wicked lifestyle, the church has to deal with that person. Whether it's just someone who comes who says they're a Christian, or a person who's in eldership, or or who's a deacon, or is a part of a ministry, you cannot allow that wickedness to continue. There needs to be discipline there, and also discipline in our lives. Individually, I know this was written to a church, but... What about for us as individuals? You read this and you go, well, am I putting up with evil in my life? Mm. Right? Am I allowing sin? Have I made peace with sin? Because churches can do it and individuals can do it. Well, where you'll look and be like, oh, how could they be doing that? But for me, God knows my struggle. See, we have the whole picture of, well, I know we don't have the whole picture because Jesus sees more. But compared to looking into other people's lives, We have the whole picture of ourselves, right? So it's easy for us to be like, well, I know my struggle. 
I know why I'm struggling. I know how much this is a battle. But then you make peace with it. David Wilkerson warned a lot about that. Don't make peace with your sin. Mm. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't make peace with your sin. I don't care how long you've been doing it for. I don't care what it is. You can justify it. Little white lies, whatever. You, whatever it is, you can justify it. You have made peace with sin. Mm. That's compromise. No, don't put up with it. Don't put up with evil in your life, in the church. Don't deal with it. And this church didn't put up with it. Yep. And I mean, we see it in the churches today, right? We'll often see very vocal churches protesting against things like abortion and the LGBTQ community. And not to say that the church should embrace these ideas. However, um, in doing so, we often also see the church not speaking on sin that their individual bodies uh, are, are struggling with. Right? How right, often right, do you see? Yeah. How often do you publicly see churches speaking out against gossip? Yeah, not very often. Oh. How often do you <laughs> see churches speaking out against prayerlessness and not reading like the Bible? How often do we see churches speaking out against lying? It's not common, and I'm not saying that like the churches should not speak out against relevant issues that are happening in society around us. That's very important. We see that in the book of Titus, right? Uh, Paul points out in the book of Titus, hey, you guys, you know what your culture is like. You know the, the rumors and the stereotypes that are surrounding the Cretan culture. Don't be like that. Don't fall into those stereotypes. So yes, the church should be speaking out against relevant issues that are going on in society, but not in the absence of pointing out what's going on in that individual body. Yeah. If there's gossip going on in the church, it needs to be addressed and dealt with. As you mentioned, don't tolerate evil in the body of Christ. Yeah, everything needs to be addressed. The whole counsel of God needs to be addressed. Yep. We should actually have, you know what? You gave me an idea. We should go out and we should have a, a march against gossip. <laughs> Next, like, I don't know if you're being serious. I, honestly, I think one of the biggest struggles in the church is gossip because yep. that's. Tell me a Christian you haven't met who, who doesn't love a juicy piece of gossip. I guess my only issue is the whole walking. <laughs> <laughs> you can organize it and I'll, we'll do the walking. I'll sit for gossip. You'll sit for. Okay. We'll have a sit in for gossip. Yeah. We'll go interrupt something. We'll bro block a bridge to put an end to gossip. Just sit. Yeah, a sit-in. No, and I'm like, I'm glad that you br you brought that up. You brought up gossip. Yes, and you do have churches where, for some people in the world, they'll they'll think, well, these people are only against. And you brought up abortion, and you brought up uh, LGBT. These people are only against this. But then you'll never hear them. Well, I shouldn't say you'll never hear them talk because we don't know each individual church what they're talking about. But at least publicly, you never see public, uh, at least on that scale against gossip and gossip absolutely destroys people's lives because mm. that leads to like defamation you are speaking against someone's character and jesus said if you're doing that you're murdering that person you're a murderer at heart mm. and yet it's like let's be honest the littlest thing can set people off mm -hmm. into having a half an hour like just I'm trying to think of the word, like confession yeah. of, of like 
just dumping on this person, did this, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, session. Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to change the culture. We need to mm-hmm. speak well of people. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know of worldly people where their entire friendships are based on trashing other people. That's it. That's all they can talk about. It's just it's just gossip, gossip, gossip. Mm-hmm. And man, like that something needs to be done there with that. But anyways, I didn't want to to dwell on that, but yeah. No, we need to deal with sin. We need to make sure we don't put up with it in our lives and in the church. Uh, and not just pet sins, all sin. Hmm. Not what's the flavor of the day sin or what's dealing with the culture sin. Everything, everything, everything. I think one uh remedy to because I think sometimes it's accidental that people don't talk about certain things. That it's not always intentional. Some churches have formats where it's topical. And so certain topics come up sometimes more often than others. I think a good remedy to that is going through a book of the Bible. When we did our study, as we mentioned in Revelation uh, last episode, when we did our Bible study on the book of Revelation, we ended up touching, I would say, all yeah. aspects of the Christian life. Yeah, yep. Most, if not all, of the attributes of God, everything about Christ and all these things. And so going book by book, verse by verse, in context, really helps us to not forget these sins that we are guilty of and that mm. need to be brought up. Amen. Mm. Amen. Okay. I think we're going to put the fancy file back in the folder for today. We're going to land the plane. Um, I hope that this has been an encouragement to you guys, uh, to our li- faithful listeners, Uh I know it's been an encouragement to me. You know, just going through the scriptures is a great encouragement and really allowing the word of God to speak to us. Uh, so I am your host, Greg the Scott. Today I had with me Mickey. Hello. Rexy. Always a pleasure. And the Melanie. Can I say something? I want to say that no. every time we record, I always think like, okay. Thank you, God. Well, not thank you, God, but no. Um, <laughs> yes, no, thank, thank you, you, God. Thank you, God, for everything. But um, like, I hope that this is a blessing to people, and that's always what we say. But every single time I listen to my co-hosts, um, I always have. I always feel so blessed because they always impart so much wisdom, and I wanted to acknowledge that before everyone because I feel. I've grown immensely, and I love studying the Bible with you guys, so I wanted to say that. Anyways, thanks for listening. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care, and God bless.